welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, helping them to be strong, independent women. Today, as always, we're bringing you another great dad that's going to be sharing some of his pearls of wisdom, but we're also going to learn a little bit more about him, learn about some of the books that he's put out there that I think will help you be a little bit of a better dad. And we're going to be able to kind of walk alongside him in the journey that he's had in raising a daughter. Brandon Smith is with us. I'm really excited to be able to talk with him. Brandon, thanks so much for being here today. Chris, really excited about the show and excited to be on it. So thanks for having me. It is my pleasure to have you on, and I always start these shows with an opportunity to turn the clock back in time, and you've got a 20-year-old daughter, so we're going to turn the clock back quite a few years. I want to go back to that first moment, that first moment when you found out that you were going to be a father to a daughter. What was going through your head? I had no idea how to do this. I had no idea how to do this. I grew up with two brothers. Two older brothers, by the way, who are 12 and 11 years older than me. So I always tell people, you know, I know what the inside of a dryer looks like. I know it's like that. Someone say, don't ask questions, just drink it. Because that's what older brothers do. I've ridden on the back of many motorcycles, probably without helmets, now that I think about it, (laughs) back in the day. So I've got this daughter coming and I'm like, I I don't really, the only girl I really know is my mom and my wife. Like, how do I, how do I do this? So that was what was going through my head, Chris. You know, I think I was feeling the same way, but I didn't have brothers. I was an only child. So for me, I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants, trying to figure out, okay, what the heck am I supposed to be doing? And and how am I going to be a good dad in that regard? So I, I completely understand that feeling of a little bit of fear, you know, out there and a little bit of the unknown because you don't know exactly what's coming. You know, I've heard from a lot of dads that sometimes, especially dads with daughters, that there is a fear because there is that unknown that's there. So I always ask the question, and I'm always interested in these responses, is, is as you look at the years that you've had with raising your daughter to who she is today, what would you say has been your biggest fear? My biggest fear with raising her today, I would say trying to strike that right balance of showing her how much I love her and appreciate her and wanting her to feel that, feel that she's beautiful, feel that she's smart, feel that she's strong, but also not cross the boundary from being a dad. So still being her, her dad, not being a friend, not, not bleeding the, those boundaries, because I think that's one of the many challenges to being a parent in general is, you know, we're, we're, at the end of the day, we're not their friend. That's not really our job. Our job is to help them become successful, fully formed adults, ready to take on the world and, and make a big contribution. And that's, of course, that's such an easy task, right? So, so I think it's not, I think maybe I'm walking around the answer, but the answer really is not screwing that up, Chris. That was my biggest fear. Don't screw this up. Like, give her all the life skills. So it's things like, for example, like she had jobs in high school, which I'm really proud of her. She worked really hard in her classes, didn't necessarily get into the colleges that she wanted to, but worked really, really hard. And she takes a lot of ownership and independence. I think she's very matured in that way. And this is going to sound like a funny thing for me to say. But she really hasn't dated a lot. And as a 20-year-old, I'm actually a little bit concerned about that. Because just like working muscles, you're learning how to work a job, you know, it takes a while to mature in those areas. And you want to get those things started. So, you know, she, most of the data shows it takes about kind of eight years for kind of maturity to form, whether it's working a job or, or getting in relationships. So she starts that at, say, 23, 24, 25. You know, now she's like, she's figuring it out in her 30s. And then, you know, so, so, 
Some areas I think I've done okay. Some areas, maybe not, but that's what goes through my head. I can only imagine the conversations that you may have had with your daughter in regards to dating or not dating and her kind of rolling her eyes, maybe some rolling eyes there. And usually she says something like, well, you know, they're just not, they're not mature. The guys of my age are just aren't mature enough, which maybe is true. So I don't know. Ultimately, it's out of my hands. She's, she's 20. You know, all I can do is sit back and support her the best I can. Well, I say, as I said at the beginning, we're raising strong, independent women. And you've done just that. She doesn't need to have someone in her life in that regard. That's right. She has no problems arguing with me either. So she definitely has figured out like the confidence and challenging. She, can, she does that with a T. A plus. So as you look back at the years that you've had, and I mentioned that your daughter's 20, So looking back over those 20 plus years, what would you say has been the hardest part in raising a daughter? Uh, The hardest part is immediately what came to mind was going into her room when she was maybe one, one and a half, two, middle of the night, trying to give my wife a break. She's crying. So I go into Abby's room and she takes one look at me and she says, no, not you. (laughs) She starts screaming even louder. (laughs) And that's... You know, you feel pretty defeated as a dad. I mean, that's a pretty, like, uh, you know, that's like a cut to the core. It's like, she, all of you, like, she just sees me and all of you, no, that's not what I want. I want, I want the other one. <laughs> so I think that's, the, I think in a general sense, that's been the hardest. There's been some things which she needs her mom for, and she wants to talk to her mom about, and she has a special relationship with her mom, but she also has a special relationship with me. So I think it's just knowing that I I play that role and there's going to be times when, frankly, I'm not what she wants or needs in that moment. And that's probably the hardest. Now, I guess one thing that I'd be interested in hearing about is that you kind of said that she needs you for certain things. And I think that all of us have our own unique relationships with our daughters and there's things that we love to do with our daughters. What would you say has been the favorite thing that you and your daughter like to share together? Oh, there's so many things. So we, we love witty sarcasm and banter. So we do do that. That's like our that's like our hobby. So that's you know at, at the dinner table we're doing that back and forth. We do it really quite well in, in family texts. So even though she's at college, we've got those going on quite well. So that's great. So I think we have a lot of that in common. And you know, you and I were talking a little bit before the show. She she's at University of Georgia and she's studying business with a concentration in entrepreneurship. She's she, she likes consulting and retail and she really loves psychology. And so my background is kind of in that intersection between psychology and business. So she has a lot of the same interests as I do. And that could be genetics. It could be just her relationship with me. So I think we share a lot of those interests. But one of the things that we've done over the years, which I'm really thankful for, is we've also just taken trips together, just me and her. I started that when my kids were 12. I just made that a a, a tradition that on their 12th birthday, just me and that kiddo would go to Disney World. And I've got three kids. I've got my daughter, Abby, and two boys, Noah and Aaron. And so when that kiddo's in Disney World for their 12th birthday, they don't have to negotiate rides. They don't have to you know, negotiate where they're going to eat dinner with their siblings, they get to pick. And it's such a special age because it's that intersection of still kind of being a kid. So every single one of my 12-year-olds always came back with a stuffed animal, but also kind of be wanting to be a teenager. So you're in this interesting kind of like cool intersection. And taking trips like that with her was great. We, we were just playing another one. She's in a sorority at University of Georgia, and they have um, daddy-daughter weekends. So I, I go there for the weekend, and we get a hotel room, and we just have a great time. So I think being able to spend those, those kinds of 
moments with her really makes a big difference. It does make a big difference. I think you're in you're building those special memories that she's going to remember for years to come. And I'm sure your sons remember as well things that they can reflect on and and then you can build those special connections that help to build the strong relationships that they have when they are adults. Now, you are a busy guy. You've got your hands in a lot of different places. You and I talked about the fact that you're teaching at colleges, you're consulting, you're writing books during COVID and, and beyond. So as you look back over the years with your kids, how have you been able to, or how were you able to best balance Balance that that work, that family life, to be able to be that best dad that you wanted to be. Yeah, so I'm going to go back in time a little bit so to answer your question. So it's 2005. I was finishing up my MBA, which was my last graduate degree. And I was getting it. I was at Emory University here in Atlanta. And it was around Thanksgiving time. And I'm standing in Northside Hospital, which is the main baby factory here in Atlanta. And I'm there with my wife and my um, second child, Noah, had just been born. So we already had Abby. Even when I was going to business school, I would drop her off to daycare, go take classes, come back and pick her up and go home. And when Noah was born, I actually got a call that day while he was born by um, Deloitte, the the consulting firm. And they offered me a senior consultant role in their human capital practice, which was exactly the kind of job I wanted. But it was 100% travel. And now it came with a signing bonus. Like, who doesn't want a signing bonus? It's like, I'm an athlete. I get a signing bonus, right? (laughs) But I didn't want to do 100% travel because I knew what that was going to mean, both in terms of my relationship as a dad, but also as a husband. And so I turned it down and, and stopped interviewing and hung my shingle. So started my practice right out of business school because I wanted the flexibility to be able to do the things that I wanted to do as a dad. Now, the challenge was I didn't have vacation. So when you get your own business, there's no vacation. So the way I solve for that, which I still think a lot of dads listening to this, whether you're a, a solopreneur, you're a contractor, you're in a, you, you work for an organization, you can do this. We used to take quarterly vacations and we'd just take long weekends. So it was a way to kind of connect with the family. So we might go down to Disney or some other place and just take a long Friday through Monday uh, weekend. And it was a lot easier on the schedule to take rather than maybe two weeks off. So just doing those other things allowed me to, you know, just stay really involved with the day-to-day rhythm of the family, which is what I wanted. You know, we all have to make sacrifices along the way to be able to, to be engaged, to be able to be there, to be a part of our kids' lives. And you did just that. And, you know, you had to look at your priorities and prioritize what was important to you. And it, I mean, you made it very clear what was the priority, which, and it sounds like the path that you took allowed you to be that engaged dad and that present dad, the one that your kids are going to remember because of the fact that you were there. I hope so. I mean, that's the hope, right? That's the hope. What you can't control is what their what their memory is. They, and, they, and they love, the, since there's three of them, they love to gang up against me. So some things you do work, some things you do don't work. Here's one thing I did that didn't work because I was always trying to get them to look around in parking lots so they wouldn't get run over by a car. I would say, look, look, look at that car. You see how that car's coming? That driver's not even paying attention to you. That car would end you. Okay, so I make very dramatic statements like this, trying to really get them to pay attention. Now they use that as a punchline. They're like, Aaron, you see that over there? That's going to end you. I've become a punchline, Chris. So sometimes that's a fate of dads too. (laughs) Yes, it is. Now, I talked about it just a little bit ago that you wrote a book during COVID, The Hot Sauce Principle, How to Live and Lead in a World where everything is urgent all of the time. And, you know, while this book is 
related to business and to, but it's all, but it's also related to life. And I know there's even a chapter in here about home life. So talk to me first, before we get into the, the kind of the, the meat of the book itself, talk to me about what made you decide that you wanted to take this book on and to get these concepts out into the world. What was the burning desire? Yeah, so every client that I was talking to, so one of the, the main roles I play in the world is I'm an executive coach. So I just, I work with individuals across all different kinds of industries, higher education, business, nonprofit, government, and try and help them be more effective at the workplace and at home too. And they were all basically telling me the same story. Didn't matter where they were in the world, didn't matter what they, what they did, time was their most precious resource. It wasn't money, it was time. And everything felt urgent all the time. It was like hot sauce was just drowning on everything. So I use hot sauce as the analogy for urgency. And they were feeling it at work and they were feeling it at home. So that's really what the impetus was for me writing the book was, how can I help folks dealing with that challenge and get a better handle and control over it? So I guess as you deconstructed that and you looked at the people that you're working with, especially as it related to home life, but balancing to be able to set aside some of the urgency are there some specific steps that you typically are encouraging about what they can do to start on that path to be able to let some of that urgency go? Yeah. So I think the, one of the challenges, even outside of the workplace, you know, when we think about our kids, everything feels urgent all the time. The teachers are making all the assignments urgent. If they're involved in any kind of extracurricular, when you, know, when you and I grew up and even before that, they were literally that, extracurriculars. Now they're all labeled as these pathways to scholarships. So everything is serious and therefore urgent. And so there is this tendency for parents, if they're not careful, to over-prioritize some of the things that really aren't that important and potentially even be driven by an urgency schedule that is just so anxiety-producing for the parents and for the kids. So that's one of the real big challenges. And that's why we see, you know, we see all these diagnoses of anxiety in not only adults, but, but most importantly, our kids, our daughter. If you know much about the therapy world right now, there's a tremendous shortage of therapists because there's such a demand. And so I think as parents, one of our jobs is how do we, I always tried to have this image in my mind. How do I create this like little safe bubble in our world where the kids are home, it, it feels calm, it feels consistent. It feels grounded because the world around them is, is not that way. So I think that at a high level, that's, that's a good thing for all of us to start thinking about as dad. How do we create that culture? And that's the intersection too of leadership and, and, and fatherhood. You know, we're, often our families look to us to establish that culture and we are establishing one. Like we, we're promoting our values every day, but are you intentional about it? And, and are you clearly stating it? So I think that's that's part of this too. That that helps to that helps to um, lessen the hot sauce. So I guess in the hot sauce, as you think about that, there are times in which at home there has to be urgency, and there are times when the urgency really doesn't need to be there. So as you think about that, and you think about the, the that intersection, how do you kind of break that down? to help a dad like me or other dads to be able to determine where is that intersection and where do you divert to be able to go in a different direction? This is the manic ride of fatherhood, my friend. This is the manic ride of fatherhood. One day everything's great. The next day you're like, right? Or or the next minute. Because you're right. So urgency by itself in its purest form is just like hot sauce. It's not a bad thing. I love hot sauce. It creates focus. 
It creates flavor and makes something a priority. But if it's on everything, if you're going to be like me, you're going to be completely red-faced, dripping with sweat, curled up in the corner, not able to taste anything. So that's really the analogy we want to think of as dads. Where are the chefs in the kitchen? We've got to manage the right amount of hot sauce. So knowing what really matters, they get a C on the test, that really doesn't matter. It may feel like it in the moment, but it really doesn't. How can they learn from that? But then there's times when you know, you've told them for the fourth time or fifth time to make their bed or put away their phone before they go to bed or not stay up to 2 a.m. or whatever it is. And now you've got to create that state of discomfort because that's really what urgency is. It's used in change, leading change in organizations and with people because it's intentionally creating a state of discomfort so that people want relief. And sometimes we have to do that. We have to do one of our dad lectures or tantrums or whatever it happens to be. And we have to take away the phone for a month. Those things happen. I, I can tell you just talking about Abby, she had a lot of anxiety taking her SAT. She'd taken it three times, got okay scores, but she really wanted a better score. But she wasn't prioritizing the studying for her SAT. And I took the hands off the steering wheel. I said, all right, Abby, you got this. You got this. I'm going to let you do this. But if it gets to this date and you still haven't started studying... I'm going to step in and I'm going to now grab the steering wheel. And that's what happened. Got all the way down to that date. And I had that conversation with her. I said, I'm sorry, Abs, but you're grounded for the next three weeks. You're not going anywhere. You're not hanging out with friends. You're not brunching. You're not doing any of that stuff. You're going to dedicate all that extra time to getting ready for the SAT. Not because I want it, because you want it. And that's what she did. She ended up actually getting the score she wanted. So it worked out. But it was one of those moments where I then had to bring urgency as a tool and had to be kind of the, the, the bad cop in the moment. It'd be interesting to talk to her right now and get her perspective on that and, and as she looks back on that. It would be. You know, you talked about having her on the show, and I've had her on my podcast before. She's a really fun guest. But I'm kind of glad she's not here right now because I like my story better. It's, it's kind of nice just to have that one side. <laughs> she might have a different story there, too. You never know. She might. She might. But she did get the score she wanted. So there's that. So I guess you talk about anxiety, and I think that a lot of families, there is a lot of anxiety, not only in parents, but anxiety in, in, in a lot of kids these days, too. And as you said, there's not enough professionals out there to deal with all of that. So what are some steps that parents can do to try to lessen anxiety within the home to be able to help their kids to decompress and to try and remove some of that anxiety and build that bubble within the home that is safe for them to not be as anxiety-ridden. Okay. So you could apply some of the same concepts even with your own team at work if you wanted to. But, but I'm, I'm talking about through parenting, through lens of parenting. So here's the first one. So I'm just riffing right now, Chris. But, but, but here's the first one, consistency. Okay, so they actually did a study on leaders. They said, what's the worst kind of leader to work for? And I thought they would come back with a yelling and screaming pound fist on the table leader. It was a highly inconsistent leader. The one who's constantly changing priorities, changing moods, playing favorites. So consistency is the first step. So consistency in if you have dinner at 730 and everyone's there and maybe you say prayer for before dinner or whatever you happen to do, have a consistent routine. Like consistency is, is really, really important. I would say that's, that's first. Second, play. Play is really, really important. Just being playful. I, I, I was sharing with you, we've got, we've got a group text. Abby then created her own separate text with just me and my wife, and she calls it the originals. 
because it was just the three of us before the boys came along. And the boys learned about it. They're like, what? What is this? But, but she'll just sometimes just text in the originals, and we text funny things to each other and funny pictures. And, you know, so being playful with, with each other gets those endorphins up, gets that laughter up, and that cuts reduces some of the anxiety. So that's that second. Parents that are still in kind of the throes of kind of those teenage years, don't overly schedule your kids in an effort to create the best college, the perfect college application. Do not do that. That is very anxiety producing because it's so, there's, the schedule has, a, has an anxiety to it all by itself, an urgency to it all by itself. It also doesn't allow for free time. And free time is so important because when kids learn how to entertain themselves just to play, even as teenagers in free time, that's an important life skill. Because there's a lot of kids, when they don't have that structure, anxiety creeps in. There's no structure. They don't know what to do. So I think creating space for that. I always have a word of the year. My word of last year, I'm carrying into this year, it's agency. So we really want to create agency in our kids. They feel like they're enough. When we overly structure them and we try and create the perfect college application and we control their schedule, we communicate to them that they're not enough. That creates anxiety. Because if you don't believe I'm enough and you're my parent, well, it must really be scary out there. Like, I'm not leaving this house. I'm staying here till I'm 25. Keep the basement warm, okay? So I think that's another one that's also really, really important is this, is that, you know, you, you communicate to them that they're enough and you give them that space. So I could go on, but I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good starting list. One, one, one last one, one last one. Because I've got a client of mine that's dealing with this issue. She's a, she's a physician. Her husband's a physician. Her, her first child, daughter, amazing in high school. Her son's gotten into the same high school and he's like refusing to take finals. Like he's, he's really, the anxiety is really tense right now. And the issue is a simple one. He is feeling like he's being judged. His value is being judged on his performance. So it's important that we don't make our kids feel like their worth is completely based on the arbitrary grade that they get in their English class that semester. So a simple thing I've always done with my kids I think is important is not only tell them that you love them, tell them you like them too. Remind them of all the things about them that you like. Their humor, their persistence, their positive attitude, their sarcasm, whatever it happens to be. Remind them of those things because that's also where they feel appreciated, safe, and that can reduce anxiety. Um, so uh, hopefully that, that list was you know, somewhat helpful to someone listening today, but those would be some of the first things I pull from. Now, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five more questions to delve deeper into you as a dad. You ready? I'm ready. Can I get a million dollars at the end of this? Is this like a game show? No, no game show. Uh, I can maybe come up with some funny money. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> In one word, what is fatherhood? Awesome. And when was the time that you finally felt like you succeeded at being a father to a daughter? I think when she came on my podcast for the first time. And we just had such a great conversation and she was so comfortable and so confident and added great value in the conversation, tried to really be helpful. That was just such a fun, playful time. But also I saw a picture of what she could be like as she got older. And I thought, this is really awesome. There's that word again, awesome. Now, if your daughter was here or your other kids were here, how would they describe you as a dad? Oh, that's a good question. I hope they'd describe me as, as funny, as patient, as a good listener as supportive. They probably described me as, oh, she described me the other day as dramatic. She called me a drama queen. So <laughs> she said, see, look, look at your hands going. Your hands are up in the air. They're going. You're so dramatic all the time. 
So, I don't know. In the spirit of trying to educate them, sometimes I put a little too much flair into things, then it comes out the other way. So, the dramatic could probably be another one. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, in some ways, my dad, in, in an interesting way, he was very quiet. Midwestern guy from Indiana, didn't say much. And I always wanted more life lessons. I didn't feel like I got a lot. He, he just wasn't a talker. He spent time with me, but there wasn't a lot of talking. So in a funny way, that inspires me to try and give my kids lessons that they may not use today or tomorrow, the next day. But with their kids and looking for a solution, maybe it'll creep in, creep in the back of their mind and, and help them. So I think you, taking what I got from my dad that I loved and then where I could do better is an inspiration. And you've given a lot of pieces of great advice today that dads are thinking about. I know I'm thinking about myself and how I can incorporate these into my own life. But in leaving today, what's one piece of advice you'd want to give to all dads? I think I would go back to if I was really just trying to give them some simple words of encouragement. I would say go back to something I said earlier about, about making sure you tell them not only that you love them, but you're really intentional to spend time with, with your one kiddo, two kiddos, three kiddos, however many kiddos you have, your daughters in particular, and making sure you tell them how much you like them. I think for daughters, that is so incredibly important because it's really pouring into their self-worth. It's building that connection with you. And they really do look up to us as that father figure and that male in their life. So making sure that they know how much you like and respect them, I think is such important fertilizer for the soul. I just made that up. I hope fertilizer for the soul sounds okay. I, I don't know. I Hopefully. Is that, is that anything like chicken soup for the soul? It's, I mean, it sounds, it sounds really good. It's a, you... Chicken soup might be a little bit better. I don't know. Probably should have used that. Maybe that should be the title of your next book. <laughs> yeah. So if people want to find out more about you, Brandon, about your book, about your podcast, where's the best place for them to go? Super simple. If you Google the workplace therapist, I'm the only one in the world. So just Google the workplace therapist. I'll take you to my site where it's free. It's my podcast and my blogs, all about how to help create healthy workplaces, but also healthy home environments. My book, of course, is there and all that is free. Uh, the book is not necessarily free, but everything else is free. So uh, that's a great starting place if you want more resources that I might be able to offer that could be helpful for you. Well, and I'll put a, a big push out or push out to everyone here that if you want to check out the podcast, his last episode of the year was with his daughter. So his episode from December 27th of 2021 was Generational Communication Holiday Edition with my daughter. So that's a good opportunity for you to meet the Abby, the daughter that we've been talking about all the, all this time. But he's got tons of episodes out there, too, all the way back to 2017 that I will keep you listening for a long time if you want to work on your own workplace and be able to move your workplace in the right direction. Brandon, this thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing your story, for your journey, sharing your journey in being a father to a daughter. And I wish you all the best. Chris, thank you. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks for helping out all the dads out there. I know I could have really benefited from this. So this is so amazing that you're putting this together. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step -step roadmaps, 
and more. You will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be